0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel.
1: Jonah here in the Press Row. Welcome back. A awesome. Day to be speaking to you because so much going on and so much that I'm excited about. We uh, had just a ton of excitement this past weekend. Huh? Last night, obviously, the NBA finals ended. Jamal Murray, champion. Over the weekend, Nick Taylor, 72 foot putt to win the Canadian Open. This morning, the Ottawa Senators' sale announced. And this morning, I get to speak to a longtime member of the Toronto sports media scene, Stephen Brunt. Don't want to say a ton more except fasten your seatbelts, buckle up, and get comfortable. We talk about everything I hope you'd like us to talk about. So sit back, enjoy Stephen Brunt in the press row. Welcome back. Leave in the press row. Jonah here out here in Seattle. I think we are actually as far apart coast to coast as humanly possible uh in north america anyways uh as far as far apart as we've done this show um by the grace of god to the extent you believe in one uh, i have been pursuing today's guest for a very long time and uh whatever they say about persistence i win the award uh he has been saying no for a very long time and out of out of nowhere he said yeah yeah i'm going away so when i go away we'll do it then so here we are Ladies and gentlemen boys and girls he is Stephen Brunt Stephen how are you hey
0: Jonah how are you doing four and a half time zones that's that's, right. that's how much we're separated by so that's uh, that's pretty, that is as much as you can do in North America
1: and for those of you who know the voice know the face Stephen is it is summer months so Stephen is joining us from Newfoundland how are things out on the far right coast beautiful today yeah it's I, I
0: crossed last night on the ferry um or the night before on the ferry and uh arrived to sunshine and kind of summery temperatures which is not the usual case in june so it's usually a lot colder here and a lot wetter this time of year but um yeah kind of the annual get back to the house see what's moved see what's what mice have moved in get things get start digging out the garden all that's all that stuff and, and and you go back a season when you come here so the the cherry trees are just in blossom here now and uh Things are just getting really, just getting started. So it's yeah, it's like a step back in time when you come out here in terms of the in terms of the seasons.
1: And when did you leave? You left like, like yeah, I left,
0: little, I left a little over a week ago because I and I stopped in the, in the Gas Bay and went salmon fishing for a few days, which is kind of halfway here. So I've done that the last couple of years.
1: But you haven't been in Newfoundland since like last last fall, is that right?
0: Yeah, I was. I left here uh, just before Labor Day. I guess I will get to get back and. and uh, yeah, I usually, you know, traditionally, I've always been back for Labor Day. That's that's gotcha. been kind of the routine. Maybe not this year.
1: Yeah, this year you get to uh, be a man of leisure, as they say. Mm-hmm. Awesome,
0: or <laughs> partially, partially, anyway. Yeah.
1: So, I don't want to go through the history because everybody knows it. But man, you you've written a lot of books. I didn't realize how many books. Remind me, did you actually write the because your Wikipedia page says that you were planning on writing a book with Brian Burke? I read the Burke book. Did you help with the Burke book? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's my book. My name's on it. Yep. Gotcha. Absolutely. It was, fan- yeah. it was, it was fantastic. It was a terrific yeah. read. Good but experience.
0: Really like work with him.
1: Do you um do you think he'll get another gig in the business? Not on the media side, but in the game side of things. I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think the Pitts. I'm, I'm not going to
0: speak for him, but, um, I think that the Pittsburgh gig was kind of, I don't think he expected to get that. Right. You know, I think that kind of came out of the blue and, and, uh, you know, he would, he had, you know, he was really a media guy at that point And, uh, I think that was unexpected and a bit of a bonus It obviously, you know, didn't necessarily pan out the way he would have wanted, but it's, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, um, I you know my my guess is probably not but um I don't think he'd say no if somebody called
1: him. My favorite book of yours is the Gretzky book on the mm, trade. Thank you. Um I've been most blown away by his progression as a member of the media watching him on TNT. Um he's been you know we all grew up watching him. We grew up with him. He's, he's a little bit older than me. He's a little bit younger than you. Um, but he, you know, phenomenal talent, obviously man, of few words. Right. And we always, I think we all kind of joke that he's a great get for TNT, but is he ever going to say anything, but he's really come into his own. Have you watched him at all during the playoffs? I,
0: yeah. Just bits and pieces. Yeah. Um you know i still my default is still to go to canadian broadcast uh but yeah i agree with you thank first of all thanks for saying that about the book that's i think that's the best book i've written um it gets overshadowed a little bit by the or book and maybe by the ali book but i i think that's the closest i've come to writing the book i wanted to write um and yeah i didn't i i was i I thought the same thing you know like you can go out and sign a guy for name value and you know hockey player a lot of hockey players aren't necessarily the most vivid personalities in the world you know when you and when you get a guy who is one like you know bisonette or or jeff O'Neill you, you know it's not necessarily a guy who's a superstar sometimes that kind of because they they have a little more skin in the game in terms of the broadcasting part of it and work at it a little more but what I've seen of him yeah i'm 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 very surprised and I think he's been he's really good um I think they're getting their money's worth
1: and do you think he's become better because of the folks around him like I wonder if a lot of it is Henrik Lundqvist sitting there because the other guys were there before I wonder if that's kind of motivated him because he's he's certainly come out of his shell more in the last couple of months than he did in the first part of it
0: yeah he looks really comfortable you're I think you're right and that probably I'm sure that's that's a part of it uh you know you lose it like he's a guy who has been in the public eye his entire life it's not like he's, he's afraid of microphones he's been you know, on micro on camera since he was a little kid and i think although he came along in an era where guys weren't quite as guarded you know i think of a guy like sid who you know very rarely gives anything away um but, you know or mario even but you know gretzky came along in a little more innocent age where you know when people are interviewed they've said stuff um but you know certainly not a guy known for his, you know, well, I guess the Salt Lake City Olympics aside, you know, for, for providing a great quote, it's not it's not generally what he did. But yeah, he looks he looks very comfortable in that role, comfortable in his own skin, you know. Um, and uh, I, I I he adds to the broadcast, and again, in a way that I didn't think that he necessarily would. So yeah, no, good for him. I like I love I love seeing guys who are athletes who get on a broadcast and actually try and you know try and be a broadcaster, uh, and not just just ride on their name and. You know, and the and their old teammates and their old experiences, but bring, you know, bring a little more to the table.
1: What's most surprising to me is that he seems to be grabbing the conch more and more as the series have progressed. And you watch him now coming out of a break, and he actually wants to talk. And it, it's not so more, oh shit, they're gonna ask me a question. He's now actually leading. Yeah. And and that to me is the sign of a comfortable broadcaster, which is which is actually good to see.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. And I, again, I haven't watched a ton of them in the playoffs because I, again, I've been, I, my, my default is to go back to our guys. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, look, he's always had opinions about the game. He's always, had, you know, sometimes those opinions came out through other people. He was, you know, kind of, he was pretty, um, strategic about that you know he had friends in the media back when the media was the way you got stuff out and if you wanted to know what Gretzky was thinking you could see how he was you know managing to get his opinion out there without necessarily putting his hand up and saying I have something to say.
1: So are you surprised that the other one of the other topics of your books is arguably I hope you don't dive under the table when I name the name arguably the greatest blue jay who ever put on the uniform is robbie alomar um we know what happened post playing career he's really been erased from history do you think that'll ever bounce back or robbie's done um it's you know it's it's very quiet
0: right and um the details of whatever he did have not really ever gone public. The, uh, you know, there was obviously, and it's not just the blue Jays that have erased them. Baseball has erased them. So I, you know, and I, and I don't see, uh, you know, I think he's back home on the back in Puerto Rico, as far as I know um, and laying very low. Um, Yeah. I, it seems to me to be that, that that's one of those ones that's probably definitive that, you know what they found, and what they, um, what baseball decided, and what the Jays decided, um, was significantly serious. You know, serious enough to, um, yeah, to to make a guy. You know, I I look, I he's he is. You you know you can argue about Roy Halladay, you can argue about pitchers, but he's the best position player that's ever played for the team for sure. But you know, to make him a non-person, a guy you know, a guy who in Cooperstown, a non-person. Um, yeah, I, I, I would think this is not in a gray area that it's somewhere beyond that. But I, I I don't know any more about it than anybody else does.
1: We just witnessed one of the most bizarre occurrences with the Blue Jays that I think we've ever seen. And And to me, it's not so much what happened with the player. It's how they dealt with it. And to me, because I'm twisted, I guess it's it's so much that we didn't hear from Mike Shapiro during any of it. Um, on again, off again, and then the sudden, we're gonna we're gonna make this guy the poster boy for the pride event, and then no, we're not. We're gonna cut him. I know you were driving or, or traveling, but what was your whole take on that?
0: Well, I just read Longley's story in the sun about the pride event part where it looks like it was Bass that wanted to make himself that guy, you know, agreed to it. That's, you know, so, and Rob's a pretty good reporter. So uh, that part of it, because I never did understand that part. Um, you know, in terms of who's going to speak for the team, um, you know, the Unel Escobar situation, which is not dissimilar in its own way, you know, you know, um, they left John Farrell <laughs> to all the speaking on that one. Bista never showed up. So, you know, actually there's a precedent here for the, you know, that the team president wasn't the guy. I kind of think the team president in both cases should have been the guy. But it's not like it hasn't this hasn't happened before. Um and yeah, the their position was on the the minute you know the, the minute he ampl- well, not the minute he amplified the tweets or you know that, but the minute that he offered his kind of non-apology apology, it was all over. It's done. You know they could have saved themselves a lot of trouble by just moving on him early. And I, like I understand, you know, you they they don't. You know, I I understand them not wanting to be in a position to police what guys do on social media all the time and decide what you know what gets you cut and what doesn't get you cut. I understand that. Um, but I think the notion, you know, and you know, maybe they wanted to see if they could reclaim some value for the guy. Um, move them, move them out for other reasons. It's a little, again, it's a little different than the um, the Osuna situation because there was an investigation there, right? Baseball kind of right. took care of it for them. So it was really on them. And there's, you know, there's no real rule as to what you have to do in those situations. You have to kind of wet your finger, put it up in the air and say, okay, what are we going to do? Or, you know, you can have kind of absolute standards in an organization, but I'm not even sure how you, you know, that like, this it seems crystal clear right now. And it probably should have been crystal clear from the beginning, but yeah, they must've thought at very least, you know, they could buy themselves a little bit of time. Um, And maybe they thought they could ride it out. Although why you would ride it out for Anthony Bass, I have no idea. Um, And then that last schmazzle about the pride night stuff and him throwing out the first pitch. It doesn't necessarily sound like that was their idea, but that may have been the moment where they said, we can't manage this anymore. And we've got to, we've got to cut bait here. It's, yeah, it's a it's a mess. It's a mess of their own doing. Um, I don't know what the guy you know. Again, I'm not close to that clubhouse these days, so I don't know how his teammates feel about him. Um, I guarantee you, you know, at very least, they didn't enjoy the distraction of this. And uh, you know their their opinions about the uh, you know matters will uh, you know aren't probably not going to get. I don't think we're going to have end up having a debate with you know open debate about what guys in the clubhouse think. Um. You know, I, again, I think for most folks, I, I you know, you, you might be shocked about what guys in sports think about stuff like this in a in a, in a negative way. You know, um, it's not necessarily the most enlightened group of human beings in the world a lot of the time. But, yeah, I, I, look, I think the, the short answer is they made a hash of it. They 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 should have said, look, we can't ride this out. It's not worth it. Um, there may be some blowback. The guy may end up being a, you know, he may be a, a, a Fox News darling after this. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for the martyrdom of Anthony Bass on the American right wing media. I think that's going to, that'll happen in a small, to a small degree, but let's just clear the air and get this guy out of here. And plus he's expendable. I <laughs> see completely expendable. So let's, let's just get ahead of it. And they didn't. So I like the, the blame where that blame lies. You know, I, again, I agree with you that, you know, the buck stops at the top, but history. And even with this franchise would suggest that that's not always how it plays out.
1: Would that last part not surprise you? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons I had heard and I think the public had heard that this administration, for lack of a better word, was brought in was to kind of modernize, modernize the Blue Jays, that under the last group, it was still run like the old Blue Jays and that Shapiro was supposed to come in and kind of change the way they operated and make them more of a modern organization with him at the top. This seemed to be, as you said, that things really hadn't changed. And here we are again, where you have an absentee CEO who does not understand how to deal or manage a crisis. And this was a PR crisis, at least in my opinion, it was
0: yeah it was yeah and it was a it was a huge pr issue it was a pr mistake for sure um he has you know they have modernized the organization the organization is in a million different ways uh, different than it was than the organization they inherited you know including the fact you know most importantly from a fan point of view is that they have you know won the faith and support of ownership to spend money um which was not happening and uh you know, that's, that's why you've got a refurbished stadium and that's why you've got a payroll that's going into luxury tax. So that, and it is, you know, it is a, it is a much different organization than it was. Um, and that is what they were brought in to do, but yeah, this, you know, in terms of handling the PR in this thing, no, they, uh, and, you know, and sometimes, you know, that's in a situation where sometimes you need, um, you know, you need the right person speaking in your ear as well, you know, and, and, uh, that's what public relations professionals are supposed to do too. So, you know, whether you know, whether you, you go out and hire a navigator to get you through it, or you have somebody in the org to step up and say, look, you know, this is this isn't we're we're not this isn't gonna fly. Um but yeah, look like again, there's no uh, I'm not gonna make excuses for what happened. Like they they made they made a series of a series of mistakes and everybody could see it.
1: So across town, we had I don't know but if mistakes is the right word, but we certainly had Broadway-esque drama at the Air Canada, sorry, at Scotiabank, whatever they call that place these days. Thankfully, the word crypto is not in the name. Have you ever seen anything like the Shanahan-Dubis press conferences?
0: I've been around a while. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Like, you know, like I lived through the lat... I was, you know, professionally lived through the very late stages of Harold Ballard. And
1: Kudos to you on the documentary, which was riveting. Yeah,
0: yeah thanks. I wish the guys who really, you know, covered Ballard were still alive. You know, I wish Frank Orr was still around, or Milton L, or you know, uh, Jim Proudfoot. Dick Beddows. Dick Beddows, yeah. There's some guys who, you know, could have contributed to that in a way I, you know, I was a kid in those days. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, you know, again, that was a different kind of world, like a far, again, a far less sophisticated world in terms of communication. And, uh, you know, the owner was a rogue owner and said stuff and, you know, talked to the media every day cause he liked it. And, um, uh, you know, there just were, there were no layers, you know, Stan Obodiak was the PR guy in those days. And, and the, the, there were, just, they just, there weren't the layers and layers and layers that there are now. And I, you know, I guess what surprised me the most, um, like Brandon Chanhans is a very smart guy, and 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 among the ways that he is very smart is that he doesn't stick his nose out very often. He he's he fits into that. He's fit into that organization. Um, in a you know he's built himself a lot of insulation, and uh, which is a smart thing to do. Right? You know when it, you we have things you know if there's ever a parade they give you credit, and if there's failures then you want layers between you and those failures. So, yeah, very savvy guy, like very, very uh, politically very smart and navigating those waters and at uh, MLC, like as Brian Burke could tell you, that those are those can be very difficult. There's a lot of stakeholders there and a lot of people who, you know, can uh, affect your fate and affect your job. And he seems to have done a better job of that than just about anybody. So, for him to kind of get caught in this situation where, you know, with his guy and those, you know, to end up, like that's not that that's not a press conference Brendan Shanahan wants to have, uh, and uh, so yeah, I was very surprised. I, I again, I think there's been a lot of stretches over the last few years where I kind of thought, boy, you know, be interesting what Brendan Shanahan would have to say, but I was assuming that he wouldn't, he wouldn't get out there and say it because he, I think he knows better than sometimes than to stick his neck out. But he was you know, him being forced into the spotlight in a very awkward situation. Um, yeah, no, I'm not. So I guess again, the short version. I've seen some stuff, but I've never seen anything quite like that.
1: And he has his own PR guy, I'm told.
0: Yeah. Well, they, 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 all thats it's, it's, again, it's a pretty sophisticated organization. Right. Um, And uh, I think he thought, yeah, I think he was pretty secure about how this thing was going to play out. And it it would have only required him to sit down next to his GM and talk about how they were extending him and, uh, and how they, you know, wanted to be better next year. And, but they didn't get to have that press
1: conference. You're not surprised, are you, to hear that there is a process by which the general manager of the Maple Leafs has to get certain types of transactions approved by the board, are you?
0: No, I think that's just that's just reality. Like, you know, and what, I, you know, we can talk about autonomy in, in terms of, um, you know, sp- sport decisions, team decisions, but with the amount of money and the commitments that are involved, um, you know look the more money it's, I, I would you know this is the same it's, it would be the same for Bell or for Rogers in their own businesses that there's all kinds of decisions that can get made down the totem pole without the guy at the top having to know but the more money and the more term that's involved the higher it goes up up the up the flagpole so you, you know you're talking about decisions that have in the terms of the hockey team that have a lot of term and payroll implications, not just for a year or for a season or for one year or getting under the cap, but are ta- you're talking about, you know, taking on a commitment over the long haul and, you know, in any kind of corporate structure, that's going to get kicked. Somebody's got to sign off on it.
1: Paul Godfrey told me when I had him on the podcast that the first winter he was president of the Blue Jays, they tried to sign a free agent and he got a call at six o'clock in the morning when he was down in Florida from some someone higher than he at Rogers advising, reminding him that salaries over a certain dollar figure had to be approved by the compensation committee.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Before. Well, it's, you know, it's, again, it'd be the same at bell. Right. It's, you know, it's, that's, um, that's how it works. And it's, you know, I think as a fan, you like to think about it kind of romantically. Um, And I think maybe right now from the terms of the blue Jays, they may be thinking about it a bit romantically spending into the, you know, in, into the luxury tax trying to win. But most of the time, you know, everybody's a line item in the cor- in that corporate world where we're, we are all line items when we work for one of those companies.
1: So when Stephen Brunt is sitting, listening or watching the Kyle Dubas press conference and he makes the comment that he makes about, you know, I have to decide whether I want to come back or not. What are you thinking? Well,
0: it would have been a fun day to be a columnist. That's what I was thinking back in my, you know, my previous life, back when that that was, you know, back when those jobs were what they used to be, you know, when you were kind of the, you, you know, you were, you were, everybody wanted to know what the guy in the star of the globe or the sun wrote, was going to write for the next morning. It's, you know, it's, it's like raw meat, man. <laughs> like it's, it, it uh, there are a lot of ways to go with it. And Jay, you know, again, it's very rare that that plays out in public anymore that somebody just decides to air it out in public and uh, or, you know, again, offer something up that they know is going to be, you know, is going to send the sirens off. Uh, everybody's smart. Everybody's controlled in their messaging. People don't make mistakes that way. So yeah, when you get one like that, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a red letter day if you're in the, so it's like we used to say on radio, you know, like it's, you know, you know God love championships and, Winning seasons, but there's nothing like a disaster to you know to to get the radio humming like it's that like it was a great week for radio too. It would you know I, you know and again it would have been an even greater week if radio was still what radio used to be.
1: So so Dubas comes out and does that. Did you read a lot of the press or any of the cl- the press you know around that those cut, those I, days? You
0: know, to be honest, you know a little bit, but not you know I, I'm not as invested as I used to be. I'm, I'm just not I right. um, I you know I didn't have to go on and do the show that night um, or the next day or the next day you know because it kept going and uh, you know I, I felt kind of I feel kind of arm's length from it now I feel arm's length from the day to day stuff which Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's a permanent thing but it, you know maybe it may well be I, 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 I just kind of amused by it now I uh, you know it's not life and death anymore
1: are you surprised they parted ways
0: um, I, I well, I, I guess, well, you know, I guess Kyle read the, you know, read his opportunities reasonably well, knew there was something else out there for him uh, You know that he wasn't actually going to just spend the next year sitting at home, getting to know his family better. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's always, it's always good to know, you know, before you put yourself out there that there's, there probably is a safety net uh, waiting for you. You know, I, you know, it, it kind of, it, you know, it kind of forces the, the you know, Brendan into a, a, a page turn, which, you know, may again may may not be the worst thing in terms of buying some time, um, having somebody else come in there and maybe do some things that Dubas wouldn't do or wouldn't want to do. Uh, and you know, like again, I think there's going to be a point here where eventually those corporate masters we were talking about are going to, if they don't, if if they spin their wheels for another year or two, I think. Somebody at some point is going to say, "Hey, who's running this organization anyway? How did who hired those other guys, Uh, and and then got rid of those other guys? Because you know, yeah, eventually, you know, eventually, you know, eventually,
1: ask not for who the bell tolls."
0: Yeah, it's yes. So, is some? It'll eventually be his night in the barrel, you know, and and uh, but this probably buys him a little bit of time.
1: So, you made an interesting point about the early days and I'm assuming you pick your words carefully as well, the early days of being a journalist. It seems to me that a younger Stephen Brunt writing this story would have a lot more artistic freedom, if you will, to write the story than one would today. And we saw yesterday, The Athletic unfortunately let 4% of the writers go and we live in a digital world where everything, yeah, I'm sure, you know, a bunch of the people that were like, unfortunately, a bunch of the people let go and yep, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, over a long time who've been let go. So. People today have to write for clicks. You never had to write for clicks, at least not no. back in the day. How, how much does that change the job when you're writing for clicks?
0: It's a really good, you know, it's a good question. Um, and, you know, it's not just a figure of speech like that, you know, the athletic, and I assume they're still using this model since the times took over, but, you know, essentially those guys lived by the algorithms, right? That, that you, you were literally measured by, Patriots. You know, yeah. And if you didn't hit your number, um, you know, your compensation was based on that, except for the big, you know, they, they hired some big names off the top who were in a different stratosphere but for almost everybody else there, my understanding was that, yeah, you lived and died on your, on your, on your hits. And, um, you know, and I think there's like, I'm, I, I'm not sure, you know, how other platforms would deal with that. The newspaper platforms such as they are now, or Sportsnet or TSN's websites, um, you know, the, the ESPN websites, the other, you know, all the sports websites, but, I, I'm sure they all know and, you know, it's just that the athletic was right out front about it saying, you know, when they, they called their guys in and say, Hey, you know, this story got a lot of, look at, look at all the action we got on this story. You should write more stories like this. And if you were writing stuff that was, you know, I'm maybe not so much more artistic, as you said, but you know, a little more esoteric um, that wasn't hot button, hot take, fire the coach stuff uh, a little more nuanced, you maybe you know he probably didn't provoke that same kind of hot button reaction and get linked by a bunch of people and uh, you know kind of play the outrage machine, play into the outrage machine. So, yeah, like it's, I guess I understand why they do it because they're trying to drive traffic, because they're trying to sell ads, and they're trying to make money. But in you know what it, I think it's a terrible thing for the on the journalistic side. It's awful. Like I you know I like I I, I did when I was at the Globe, obviously the globe wasn't predominantly a sports newspaper, but they had a long tradition of very good columnists who wrote for that paper, Alan Abel and Trent Frayne and Jim, you know, uh, not Coleman, but it's, uh, Scott Young. And, um, and, you know, the, 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 that platform, you know, on the front of the sports section of the most you know serious newspaper in Canada kind of carried some weight. And you, you always figured, I think when you were there that not, everybody was reading you, but some really important people were reading you. So you were, you were tapping into audience of power and influence and, and it had some heft to it. And the commissioners read you, you know, they knew what was in the Globe and Mail and the owners knew what was in the Globe and Mail. And I don't, you know, no one ever talked about whether that's old papers or, you know, once we got into the internet age, whether that, you know, whether people were clicking on your story, um, you know, they all they kind of used to go back and forth with comment sections, which, you know, were for better or for worse, but but that wasn't what it was about. Um you know, that there, there was you know, your value to them was not measured purely in online activity. And I think it's a terrible way to measure value. I I get I again, I get it from, you know, if you're like one of those venture capitalists that uh you know that that started the athletic, like, you know, they're not in it for journalism. You know, they're they were in it to build it and sell it. So they don't give a shit. But uh, if you if you value any of the stuff that, you know, we would normally value in sports journalism, it's the antithesis of it.
1: The most shocking thing to me is that I still believe that the number one appetite out there in sports is for local. And yep. yet that is where people, that is where most outlets are moving away from.
0: Well, I don't know. They're moving away. From, they're moving away from a lot of stuff right now. If I, I yes, I, I think there's always value in local. You, there's, you know, although you could measure, or there's value in team alliances anyway. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a national property. The Blue Jays are a national property. Uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, to a degree, are a national property. Uh, the New York Yankees are an international property. Manchester United is an international property, so it's you know not necessarily just the confines of your town, but you know I think people mostly follow the teams that that they follow and, and don't necessarily follow the larger story, the league story. Um, that's true, but it's just it, look, everything's shrinking, you know. Uh, and again, and it's it's not this isn't just you know my I, by, my I, by my friends over at TSN, but you know this TSN doesn't have anybody at the Stanley Cup Finals this year. It's first time in the history of the network. And that's, you know, and again, I could point to the same kind of thing at Sportsnet or the same kind of thing at CBC. It's not just them. But, you know, think about that. That network was, you know, that's they were built as the Canadian Sports All Sports Network. They still have a rights holder national to the National Hockey League, and they don't have a reporter at the Stanley Cup final. Like that's that tells you everything. Um, because they don't they feel like they don't have to, because it doesn't make a difference. And somebody in in the bean counting world is going and saying, you know, that we could just have somebody in the studio in Toronto talking about it. What's the diff? Uh, That's where we are now. That's that's where we are now. And that, you know, it's not just that it's gonna kill a bunch of fun trips for reporters. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna really erode the quality of the journalism. So, 2013,
1: Rogers strikes the deal on the NHL, TV deal. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Tons of predictions. You know, a lot of people, I think those who struck the deal, thought this was the NFL 2.0. The Canadians were going to consume hockey the way Americans consume football. If you had to write, Um, if you had to write the after story on that deal today, knowing what we know today, and yes, there's been this thing called COVID. what, What would you say about it now?
0: Well, I think that, you know, if they hadn't done it, Bell would have done it. Somebody was going to do it. So, and it became a winner-take-all contest. So one of the two was going to do it. Um, right. It wasn't going to get split in the end. It was, you know, it, it turned into a different kind of negotiation. So, and, you know, it might have been an existential, you know, thing for Sportsnet at that point, because if Sportsnet didn't get it, and Bell had gotten all of the, you know, the NHL. I'm not sure where Sportsnet would have gone. like we still had the Jays. And they might have competed for the NHL regional rights. They would have had the half the leaf rights because of the MLSE deal. But, um, you know, who knows, you know, what their, what Roger's commitment to that network would have been, um, you know, wasn't there, They didn't start that network. They kind of, you know, they inherited it later on. But I, like, I think the actual story isn't about that. I think the story is that the premise of that deal, and it would have been the same if Bell had gone in the premise of doing that long-term deal with the national hockey league at that number, was that we can grow the hockey audience in Canada? We can get more people to watch hockey in Canada who watch then watch hockey now. We'll give them more product. Um, we'll we'll uh, do stuff like hometown hockey, and there are so that that assumes that there are people in Canada right now who are right then who are not watching hockey who will watch hockey. That we're gonna so you know, and that's outside of the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup you know, or, you know, like, cause that's, well, that's the only game changer. The Leafs making a deep playoff run. Cause if that happens, that's gravy. You're going to get all kinds of casuals, but week to week, year to year, it doesn't matter who's in the playoff. doesn't matter who's in the final. We're going to be able to find more people. And the the story is that there are not more people. There's nobody more, right? The same people are watching hockey. Now who are watching hockey when this deal started. It is not a growth sport in Canada right now. The audience is not growing and the growth, you know, and I, I would have, argued some of this at the time if anybody had wanted to ask me but the growth sports in canada were soccer which has grown enormously you look at and i'm not talking about mls but world cup ratings euro ratings champions league when it you know because now that's priced out of the market for the networks premier league enormous enormous growth and the nfl you know the nfl has swamped just about everything else in canada and the beauty of nfl rights is though they're very expensive you don't have to produce anything right you just buy the games and they and and inherit all of the hype that comes out of the states that's going to wash over the border anyway. So that you know, in that moment, you, may, you know, and maybe basketball. Although, again, I think what we've seen with basketball is that it's kind of Raptors dependent. I'm sure there are a lot of people watching last night, but you know, for all of the fact that you know the, the basketball culture and the players we're producing in Canada and all of that stuff that's happening, the week to week, day to day ratings are not that great, but the NFL ratings are through the roof. So I think, you know, they missed some demographic cues and, you know, kind of assumed a bunch of stuff about where hockey was in Canada. And, it, you know, like where I am in Newfoundland here in my little town, you know, the, yeah, the guys all still, guys still watch hockey every Saturday night, just like they would have 40 years ago. But where I live in Ontario, they don't. You know, they don't. And it's, it's not central anymore. It's a different country
1: so i know you don't know the answer but if you had to look into your crystal ball and predict what does the next tv and i'm making air quotes around the word tv yeah that's that's a very different what is the next watching
0: deal well when this in gary's in, in, in gary's dreams the streamers come on you know and get really competitive for it and that 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 there's a viable competitor. You know, sort of like talking about the Olympic rights in Canada, which you know right now there's no one bidding against the CBC, right? And I'm not and the and Olympic that is a property is in decline in Canada. So you know what's going to happen in the next Olympic package? Because I can tell you that you know CTV and you know our you know Bell and Rogers aren't getting back in after that after the consortium. So it's it's kind of the same question. Like I you know, I could see it being carved up. I think it probably will be carved up. Um, but they need another player. Like they need somebody to come in on the streaming side and say, we want this content. And I, I, I think kind of by the end of this deal, you know, we've like the streamers have, you know, they're obviously dipping their toes in now, but we're, we're kind of into, you know, second gen, third gen stuff now where, and I think the blooms off the rose, um, you know, like remember when DAZN was going to be the big competitor. Right. And but, how are they doing?
1: But to be clear, you want a streamer that's going to want to buy the Canadian rights or the North American rights.
0: Well, you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be, it's going to have to be Canadian rights because the North, you know, the American deal is the deal, right? Um, but there's no equivalent to what they just did in the States and Canada.
1: Right, that's why I'm asking. Um,
0: yeah, so, you know, unless they can find another player to come in and compete, because so CBC's off the table, right. they don't have any money. Correct. Um, so you it's still the same two. So unless there's a third and you tell me what form that third would take. And I, you know, and I think rather than trying to blow each other's brains out the way they did last time bell and rogers are going to do right. what they yes, yeah, what well or just say we're not competing you know they like there's a, there's a areas where they you know you mean us like <laughs> they don't compete for talent
1: right
0: there's there's never a bidding war between tsn and, and sportsnet for talent
1: right
0: there's a reason for that
1: yeah keeps prices nice and
0: yeah reasonable. so you know and you know never mind the you know the 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 cell phone industry but um yeah so they they're they're not going to they're not going to go full out war like they did last time. And so the NHL needs, a, they need another player. And I don't know who that would possibly be right now.
1: So Richard Petty was on um, one of the drive shows. I was the one listening this past couple of weeks. And he said something that, that garnered my interest. Bell and Rogers have been partners in this entity called MLSC for several years And, and one wonders if like teachers that started to run its course. And again, I, I'm not looking to you for the answer, but again, if you had to predict, we just today heard that the Ottawa senators have reached a deal in principle to be sold. There's some Toronto entities there that didn't win. Yeah. Who do you think is the future owner of teams in Toronto? Uh, if there is a, one, or is it going to be corporate?
0: You know, it's funny on the Ottawa thing, guys who know more than way more than I do were telling me from the beginning that it was going to be Andlar and okay. that all the, all that noise and all the other stuff was all BS. That Andlar was the guy, the league liked him. They know him, they trust him. Um, He's actually got the money. So, you know, for all of the talk about, you know, movie stars and musicians and all that stuff that Andlar quietly was going to be the guy and they were, you know, so those people were right. Uh, yeah. I don't, there aren't many people rich enough, you know, as, as, as individuals um, to do it, you know, who would choose to do it. You know, David Thompson could do it, but, you know, and he he had a stake in the, he has a stake in the Jets. He came in, but that was about real estate development in Winnipeg, I think, as much as anything. Um, Edward Rogers could do it. Yeah. You know, if you're going to talk about people, um, you know, again, I have a hard time seeing you know, Larry Tanbaum could do it to a degree on his own, but I you know, probably not the whole McGilla. So, you know, if somebody was going to take the whole thing, it's got to be somebody who's extraordinarily wealthy and, you know, and would want to take, probably take it private, but do think- I don't, you know, but I don't know. I, I just named the only two guys I could think of right now who could do it.
1: Do you think it's important that it would happen?
0: I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, they, I think, I'm not sure what you can ask of that. Like the, the, I know, I know. You know, they 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 won a basketball championship. They won a soccer championship. They won a Grey Cup. That you know, that was kind of the parsley on the sandwich, was an afterthought. Uh, and they spend to the cap in a cap league, and, and and you know they've spent into the well. You know, we'll see what the Raptors do this year in terms of it's probably not the best time to kind of go into luxury tax situation, but and you know beyond those player resources, they spend in areas they can spend. They do spend. You know, Leaps probably got you know more people organizationally than any any team in the league. So, you know, what do you want from an ownership group? You know, you want them to put up the money to be competitive and uh, and get out of the way. So, you know, it's, it's, like in some ways, it, this works perfectly, right? Because the 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 the, the, the uh, telcos soft against each other. Larry Tannenbaum is kind of the, you know, the mediator figure and uh, kind of lurks in the background. You never hear from him. You never hear from any of these guys unless there's a parade.
1: So we would be remiss if we didn't talk about radio. What was it like starting at primetime sports when you started there?
0: Oh, well, it was fun. Um, you know, I was one of many newspaper guys who moonlit in radio because we, you know, can make a few extra bucks and radio needed newspaper guys because we'd actually been places and seen things and had stories to tell so it, it was a you know a match made in heaven in a lot of ways that uh, you know and that's the you know, way predates me in in terms of you know news radio in toronto you know jim my jim hunt my great pal shake he was like he was on cky like a million years before that uh so there were guys yeah, so it, it it's kind of a tradition. It's so for yeah, for me I hadn't done a lot of broadcasting at all or almost none. And uh you know, I was the number one show in Canada. Number one show in Toronto for sure, number one show in Canada and it was and it was fun. Um wasn't heavy lifting. Way harder to write a column every four or five days a week than to go on and do an hour or two a radio. Um it was a blast and uh I don't know. i it's it's i i had a i had a knack for it which uh which served me really well
1: who was your of all the years that you did it with bob we'll stick with bob first who is your favorite guest
0: well you know i obviously i love bert sugar and he was i knew bert in my other life too so we you know he was he was great um she's like you know i like it, the thing is you know we always had the newsmakers on there which was were good um you know we had some memorable the some of the memorable Doug McLean stuff I always think about when I've seen Doug he reminds me of it um the blow, the
1: blow up when he went yeah
0: nuts. yeah that was entertaining uh yeah you know that's you know we we had what's his name the 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 lawyer Rod Becker the uh, uh-huh. who, you know never he would it didn't matter whether he knew anything about what he was talking about or not he could still come on and do radio he never said no um yeah you know and and like you know deitch was a great guest when he came on to do media stuff as well so yeah they're like we had a a really good you know having regulars is important because you develop um you know you develop an ease in a relationship with them even if you never see them in person
1: and were there ever times where bob would say something you're like oh my god i can't believe he just said that
0: oh yeah oh yeah yeah sure but yeah uh there there are many times um yeah you know and my job sometimes was to bring them back from the edge of the cliff and sometimes my job is just to shut up and let it happen
1: (laughs) it really was the nightline of sports radio i mean were you sometimes in awe with who like did you ever get to the station go holy crap i can't believe we have this person on on this day
0: yeah yeah sometimes but you know it's funny like again so like the the best like the best radio was often not that guest the best radio was the guy who came on with you every week and kind of knew the rhythm of the show and could give you good content um but yeah it was fun like when all hell was breaking loose and you know knowing that people were going to tune in that day to see what to hear what bob was going to say or what the show was going to do with it yeah you felt kind of at the center of the universe um you know, it's a different feeling than when the, you know, newspapers used to drop on people's doorsteps in the morning and you were still the, you know, you knew people were going to go and turn to the column to see what the guy said about the game the night before. But there's such an immediacy to radio, just that, it, you know, and, and you've, you, just, you know all those cars stuck in traffic on the gardener. You know, you figured, you know, four out of every five of them were listening to the show.
1: How much prep did you do before the show, if any?
0: Well, I did prep in my life because I was a I was in, engaged, right? Like I was writing still for most of the time I was there. So, that was just natural that I was I knew what was going on through the day and I was reading and paying attention to stuff. So, it wasn't like I sat down and studied for the show. It's just that that was my job.
1: You knew what the topics were cuz you knew what was going on in the world.
0: Yeah, and you talked to producers whoever, you know, we had great producers over the years and you would you know i would talk to them a couple times during the day and then i would go in early if if i could and hang around we had a newsroom in those days where there were a lot of people and it was you know a real buzz like a newspaper newsroom and uh you know things you'd get kicked around on the floor you'd hear what the shows before you did get a sense of what you know what how they had handled stuff so yeah it wasn't so much you know sitting down and studying for the show it was just kind of it, it it's there was it, it had synergies with everything else i did
1: and were there ebbs and flows or did it really follow a
0: script? It, it wasn't much of a script. Um, you know, the show structure kind of changed over the years at times. You know, some years, you know, there was a stretch where Bob would was doing phones the first hour. Um, and that was good because it got him all charged up and he was really <laughs> young, so he was great at phones, but it also kind of got him turned on. Um you know, with some, the six o'clock guest was always kind of, that was the national hour. So the best, the biggest name guest you had, you popped them in at six, five. The first half hour at five usually was the, you know, the host and the co-host uns you know, untethered to anything um without a guest. So, you know, and I, and I listened to, you know, the way shaky had done it and I, you know, heard waters doing it, you know, you know everybody did it a little differently, uh, but yeah, you just, you know, yeah, you, you know, you sit down, the lights go on, and you start talking. That was, that was kind of it.
1: And when news broke that Bob was going to be exited, mm-hmm. what were your thoughts? I mean, the you know, the world was clearly changing at one time. Yeah, 000. I,
0: you know, well, you know, it wasn't, you could see the writing on the wall just because the way the business was going. Um, you know, Bob always liked to talk about, you know, being making a lot of money and, you know, if you make a lot of money in a sector that's shrinking, um, and you know, what's the glorious Swanson line from sunset Boulevard, you know, it was the, it wasn't, you know, the pictures that got small or whatever, you don't know, like right. the, the medium got small, right. It just kept, the medium was shrinking and the, you know, the, the world that, that Bob had dominated no longer. And this is, you know, pre pandemic, but it just didn't really exist anymore. It, it wasn't, it wasn't ever going to be the same. So, at a certain point somebody was going to make an accounting decision you know it wasn't a content decision it was an accounting decision
1: so then you 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 pivot you ended up with Blair but then you ended up with Ben Ennis Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm going to use the word but that was surprisingly really a good show any idea why and you and I talked about this a lot back and forth any idea why that works so well uh
0: I I I, know I like I didn't know how it was gonna work. Um but right from the day one, it it was a really, you know, it was a good mix. Um Ben had a real you know, Ben's a smart guy and he's a good broadcaster. Um but he also had a and he also had a you know, he doesn't have there's not a, his ego doesn't get in the way. You know, he was quite he was really good at teeing me up and setting me up to tell stories and use that part of, you know, what I what I have uh, you know, in fact, again, I've been around a little bit. Uh, he's, you know, he likes to have fun. There's a spirit of fun to the show when he was there. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, like, I, I'm not sure I've enjoyed a stretch as much as I enjoy the stretch with Ben. And I, it was a great show. I thought the show was really good. It was, you know, it was, and I've, I've had this conversation with him. So it's no, I just look at this, you know, if this we if we were doing this show 20 years ago, this show would kill. You know, like back when people were looking at radio ratings and stuff, this this people were saying, "Boy, that's a great show," but you know, because of when it happened in the in the cycle, especially post pandemic, you know, it really didn't matter if you're doing a great show or not.
1: So here's my hunch, and that is that it's the first time that the fan didn't try to replicate prime time in that slot, and you guys didn't try to replicate what you had with Bob. And I, yeah, think so. the re- and I think the reason so many shows have failed in sports radio in Toronto is so many times. I think the reason overdrive is so successful is they're not trying to be Bob. They're not trying to be primetime. They're a different shtick. And I felt the reason you guys were so successful is you threw that out and said, we're just going to do something different and it really worked.
0: Yeah. I, I probably not with this, you know, there wasn't probably a whole lot of, you know, we probably didn't think it through that far. Um, you know, when when I worked in it, when, when Jeff and I moved into this, and you, can, you can, people kind of forget that there was a Shulman phase too, right? When Jay, when Danny did Prime Time, when Bob oh, yeah. went to the mornings, you know? And that was a great show. Like, Dan and Jim Hunt was an amazing show.
1: They did the um, Wendell Clark trade. I was listening live. I remember it well.
0: Oh, it's a stunningly good show. And, you know, and, and he worked really well with Jim. You know, he set yeah. Jim up really well to do Jim's thing. But, um, yeah, I think, I guess, when when Blair and I kind of inherited the spot, um, and then Blair and, and and then Deitch as well. You know, they, they were just, all of us had had a piece of the action with primetime sports. We, you know, we were kind of expected to do the, you know, the big story of the day or the serious stuff or the business stuff. Um, you know, and by then the other guys, obviously TSN tried and failed over and over again, trying to figure out something that would work on radio. And then they ended up, you know, like, again, no slight to the other two guys, but they found, you know, O'Neal. that's what changed it yeah and and they and they and you know what they were unapologetic about it being essentially a hockey show
1: yeah
0: and you know bob isn't you know bob show was never primarily a hockey show he's not a hockey guy um you know he could do it but um they just said we're going to do a hockey show with two hockey players and we've we're going to let this guy who's a different character you know we're we're not going to shackle him we're going to let him and, and we're going to be a, a little a, a more a little irreverent and funny. And, you know, it's like, it, it worked out I, again. I don't think it was by design. It was probably more by accident, but it was, a, but you know, really good. And, and became the, like the primetime looked like the stuffy old, old guy's show. And they looked like the, the fun young guy's show. So you're right that, that, you know, and you know, just, you know, your audience ages out at a certain point. You know your audience just ages out, so they they did catch something, and it works. You know, and it's worked pretty well for them on TV too. But yeah, by the time Ben and I started doing it, it we could do whatever the heck. You know, no one there wasn't like there was a format. It was just, but it, you know, you got you two guys do a show because you're who's left.
1: I forgot to ask you, big. I think one of the big things about primetime that worked was the Friday panel. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite co-host on the panel?
0: oh geez uh, that's a good question i um i probably go back in time you know I, I think it kind of was played out at the end to be honest
1: it was it was too much
0: yeah and uh you know and bob became kind of less committed to it you know he kind of take fridays off um but yeah you needed you know you needed a little heat in the room you know, to, to make it really work but also you know a sense of you know, an argument with a smile, you know, like that's the best for radio. You're like, you don't want actual hostility on radio. It's uncomfortable. Right. It's uncomfortable to listen to if people actually don't like each other. But yeah, I didn't think about that, but that, like, like I know what a good one was like, what it sounded like though. And that it was, that was with a lot of, you know, everybody's energy being up and, and some differences of opinion, but also that spirit of kind of having a beer with some guys you liked that, 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 that's what it was at its best.
1: Throw some softballs while you think about it as we wrap up here. So at your age, your experience, knowing what you know now, so you have the benefit. Yeah. You could do if you could do anything, what would you do?
0: You know, I honest to God, it's gonna sound a bit pollyannish but I like I, I lucked into a lot of stuff and and I've I had a great run and, and came along and it's turned out at a great time for you know, kind of the in the newspapers kind of waned during the time I was there. Um, but I saw the world. I covered every sporting event. You know, I wasn't a sports guy and I got went into sports kind of as a bit of a lark and I covered every sporting event you could name. Um, I've literally seen the world on someone else's ticket. Um, I could, i managed to slide into a broadcasting career without having to ever commit to being a broadcaster and just letting it happen. Um, I came over to Sportsnet at a time when the newspaper thing was shrinking and they were going to start a magazine and, you know, I had all kinds of ambition about doing documentaries and other kinds of projects. And, uh, and I'm, you know, sliding out at a time when all of that stuff is disappearing and the future is very uncertain. So, and I was well compensated at the end. So I I got, man, I got no complaints. Um, you know, if I stuck around and, you know, tried to be a, you know, a news reporter, like I was, or, an arts reporter at the newspaper or like all of those things like you know i could have played out my career at the globe and mail though most of my contemporaries got bought out early there and uh but this i had this great kind of second life with working with a younger crowd creative people team environment um i loved it and you know and then was been able to kind of get well to getting was good so yeah no i got i got i've got zero complaints i uh, could do my own projects on the side no one ever restricted me from doing that. So you could do as much as I want. I you know, came out to Newfoundland every summer of the last 20 years and wrote columns and did broadcasting from a place I wanted to be. And nobody said, you got to come home. So is so, there an,
1: is there a next, is that what's next? Just some side projects, some, some more books.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, there'll be no more books. There'll be, it'll be project driven, I think. Um, yeah. I don't think I'm looking for a job job. Uh, you know, that that's a luxury, but I, I don't, no, I don't think I'm looking for a job job. I want to be able to kind of pick and choose and uh, have some fun and uh, work with creative people that I like. You know, again, I, like I said, last fall when I signed off, like I'm not retiring. I don't know what that even would look like, but, you know, I just, I, even if I wanted to get back into the world of day-to-day sport, I'm not sure what that world is. Right. I, I, I you know, i I'm, I, I just, in that news with the athletic, you know, that kind of, you know, they kind of brought that home again. I, I say, as you alluded to earlier in this thing, I like, I know a lot of those people and, you know, a lot of them are 20 years younger than me or more. They got careers to play out and I, I'm not sure where you go. Uh, there, there's no across the street anymore in the business, whereas there always used to be, you could always go across the street and work for somebody else. So yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm i I am I feel I've been really, really lucky in with, in, and, you know, and, and doing something that never felt like heavy lifting to be honest you know it's not there i worked in factories when she know to put myself through school you know i worked on assembly lines i know i know what a real job feels like and this didn't feel like a real job
1: two quick questions the hardest two Mm. one night one concert who's opening who's playing where's the venue
0: Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, I was just listening just before I talked to My son told me about there's a recording of, and again, I this, I don't want to sound like an old dude because I do try and stay contemporary and try and keep going to, you know, I'm not I'm not just on the nostalgia circuit. But there's a, they just, uh, they just, Springsteen just released a, a rec- concert recording from the 78 tour, the, the Darkness on the Edge of Town tour. So I looked it up. I saw Springsteen the first time in November 78 at uh, the Banana Bowl at Maple Leaf Gardens, which was when they used to split it sideways. So the, the stage wasn't at the end stage was at center ice because he couldn't sell out the gardens. Right. in days. Um, And this, the, this concert, the concert is called from various concerts on that tour. You remember it just, it, it all comes back just how stunning he was in, at that point and that record. And like, to me, that's the peak for him. And, you know, one of the greatest live performances I've ever seen for sure. You know, maybe the greatest live performance I've ever seen. So, you know, he was hard to beat then. I I'm you know, now it's a different vibe, you know. Um, now we're all old. But um, you know, I've got i have got a little theater out here in Woody Point, Woody Point Heritage Theater, 200 seats, you know. We had uh that's my favorite venue. You know, when Gord Downey came out and played, um sat in that sat in that little little room and uh and with uh, with Josh Fendelson and played, you know, the uh, bob cajun and the stuff from coke machine glow and all of that it's pretty good so <laughs> this yeah this room you know this our little room here is uh it's kind of magical so um I, I i that's that's 100% my favorite venue in the world like i i miss back when i was a music reviewer in my early days you know the like the elma combo was actually a, kind of a shitty venue but i saw some amazing stuff there um you know they, it's always better in a in a grotty club somewhere than it is in a big concert theater
1: and i think outside is better than inside but that's me
0: yeah i don't know i, I
1: just i, I that's because I, I, you're an audiophile i just like yeah. the open air and nice weather yeah. but that's me um all right you haven't given me your favorite panel guest but if you had as people know nobody does an intro voiceover and i played it for my son last night a bunch of them man they're good the steven brunt voiceovers are leaping fantastic so if you had to write the voiceover to the steven brunt story what would the opening line be
0: oh geez i can't do that hey that's that's uh you know writing i can't i don't write on the fly but you know look it's been it's been a really good ride and it continues to be a good ride um you know, and I've got a I've got a great family. Um, you know, my kids are uh, all intact and doing interesting things. And uh, you know, I've got this kind of parallel life out here, which is, you know, when I first came out here, you couldn't get the Globe and Mail here, so no one knew who they had no idea what I did for a living, and they didn't. You know what? They didn't care, not even one bit. Um, but we built something really cool out here with the festivals and with the building that we run now, and. Uh, kind of built some stuff in this little community i'm as proud of that as anything i've done on the other side um and that's going to continue uh you know and i'm still uh, i'm kind of looking forward to whatever the next gig is i've you know i've got a book to write which i'm not gonna i won't talk about right now but i'm really happy about it i'm kind of in the middle of it and some other things kicking around that uh some sports related some not um yeah no i'm i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to next week
1: well, we care, I can tell you that. And uh angry is the not is not the right word, but whenever there's a story, and I just I don't when when Nick Taylor sinks the putt, and I know you're not a golf fan, when Jamal Murray gets thrown into the pool, when the Ottawa Senators get sold, when Brendan Shanahan holds the press conference, there are those of us who are angry not to have the Stephen Brunt story because with all due respect to a lot of scribes out there, nobody did it better. Whether it was oh, on the radio well, and it it is, it is a hole in the journalistic world not to have that voice. So whatever you do, we hope to get it back in some shape or form. And it's been a real pleasure having you here today. And whatever it is that you're releasing, I hope that we get a chance to talk about it next uh, when you release it. And thank you yeah, for sure. doing this. Today. for
0: sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it, John. It's, uh, it's good talking to you.
1: He is Stephen Brunt. He is as far away from me as you can humanly be while still remaining in North America. Thank you for tuning in today, and we will see you next time in the press row. Thank you for listening to today's episode of In the Press Row with Stephen Brunt. As always, if you want to be a guest or advertise, you can shoot me a direct message on Twitter at YYZ Sports Media. You can email me at jonah at yyzsportsmedia.com. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and see you next time in the press room. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.